Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. Don't be all caught up in diagnosis or what your yeah. view of mental illness is or things like that. You've got a hurting person in front of you. Uh, and, you know, if you can do nothing more than offer them some hope for the future, that things can be better. Uh, I, I will tell you that, I mean, I've done a lot of research around this, but I mean, I will tell you that for churches that, you know, somebody comes in and they, maybe they're struggling with depression and the church says, ah, well, this is just a weak faith and you need to just kind of get right with Jesus and you won't be depressed. You know, what we find is that actually drives people away from the faith. And, and, and the person who said that to them, I don't think that was their plan. I think their plan was to try to drive them closer to Jesus. But the reality is it drives people away from the faith. Neuropsychologist Dr. Matthew Stanford is our guest today as we come to you on location from Orlando, Florida. Dr. Stanford's research on the interplay between psychology and faith has been featured in publications worldwide. Welcome to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. And all we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Life Support is hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media, a co-sponsor of this program. And our goal, as always, is to use story to bring hope and healing. And now let's join the conversation between Pastor Paul and Dr. Stanford. We're so glad to have you on Life Support. This is a unique program. What we try to do is we tell you stories, we talk about suffering and trauma and how Jesus can touch you in those difficult times. And that's exactly where Jesus lives. And we want you to be encouraged today. And uh, we're coming live from Orlando, from the Waymaker World Conference, and this is for from the American Association of Christian Counselors. We're surrounded by mental health experts that want to point you to Christ as well, and and one of them is here with me, Matthew Stanford. He's a, a doctor, and he's the CEO of Hope and Healing Center and Institute. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. So you're obviously not from uh, Florida. No, I am not. I'm where, from where are you from? I'm from Houston. I actually grew up outside of Houston. I haven't always lived there, but I, I actually grew up outside of Houston. So how did you get interested in doing what you're doing? Yeah, you know, I, I actually uh, have a Ph.D. in neuroscience, and so I was, uh, that was always my dream in life, to have my own lab and, and do research. And I studied um, aggression, uh, human aggression, uh, looking at the neurobiology of that, doing a lot of brain imaging and, and drug trials to help people control their aggression. And But I'm also a Christian and a person of faith, so knowing I was in mental health, people in churches would pull me aside uh, to ask me questions about their own mental health or their child's mental health. And a lot of times they would ask me questions that had to do with the spiritual aspects of mental health or tell me something that a pastor has said to them. And sometimes it was pretty disturbing. You know, it was, uh, you know, your depression's just a sin. You need to pray more, things like that. And, and that kind of surprised me because I didn't believe that. And, and I went to those churches. And so I kind of got interested in that. I started kind of looking. And, um, you know, I came across a statistic, a couple of statistics. One was that the majority of people with mental health problems in the U.S. never receive any treatment. But that also the first place a person with a mental health problem is likely to go uh, is a clergy rather than a mental health care provider or physician. And that's anyone in the general population. So I became just really fascinated by that, started looking into that, and, and that ultimately God used to lead me to now run a full-time ministry and, and be very heavily involved in uh, the intersection of, of mental health and faith and equipping faith communities to be more involved in mental health care. 
I understand through a back channel that part of that journey led you through Baylor University. Yes, I was a professor at Baylor in Waco for 12 years. Uh, and uh, what we can say then is just simply Sikkim Bears. That's right, Sikkim yeah. Bears. Mm-hmm. We've got a got a very good basketball team, not w- such a good football team. Whatever conference they're going to be playing in, we don't know. That's either, right. We'll uh, figure that, that out. Whatever conference will be lucky to have our basketball <laughs> team. So. All right. So intersection between mental health, church. It's always been a little confusing. Um, some in church, like you said, think it's a myth. Mm-hmm. Many people are afraid to talk about it. Are we seeing any improvement in an openness in a church setting to people being honest about how they're really doing? I would definitely say that, you know, from when I began, you know, a little over a decade ago, um, almost two at this point, maybe, uh, there really wasn't much of a conversation in the church. And it was like pulling teeth to get anybody to talk about it. Uh, Now there's a real conversation. I mean, people are are willing to talk about it. we haven't got too much further than the conversation, but the conversation's going. I, I will say that, you know, one of the benefits that's come out of the pandemic, which are very few, uh, is that people generally, even in the general population, are very open to discussions of mental health issues now because the pandemic has brought mental health issues to the home because of the isolation and the fear. And so there's a, a, a real conversation. Uh, and so churches have been absolutely been overwhelmed by the mental health fallout from COVID. And so they are much more open now to this discussion of mental health. And so I, I'm very, um, you know, I say cautiously optimistic. Uh, you know, a, a conference like this that we're at here, I mean, there are thousands of people here uh, that are interested in this intersection. And, uh, you know, it's excited, exciting to see that. And so I, I really have uh, a lot of hope for the future of the church and mental health. As a pastor, I'm trying to, like most pastors, reboot my church mm-hmm. after COVID, which is a unique experience, let's put it that way. There's people who still won't come. There's people who think I was crazy all along for even saying there was a pandemic. Right. So you have these incredibly wide spheres of of opinions. How, how do you think this is going to go, trying to get these churches back together and getting people back on the same page? Yeah, you know, it's been interesting to watch. I mean, obviously, um, you know, I'm not sure anybody would have known exactly what to do uh, in the context of the pandemic. I would say what we did do was not the right thing to do because it didn't work well. Uh, I think we need a more balanced approach. I don't think we did a good job with communication of what, what really was likely to happen and, and things like that. Uh, what I would say is, you know, one of the things I, I find that churches has learned uh, really kind of the hard way is that we have become very um, fixated on only being able to provide ministry to those who come to our building. And so all of a sudden pandemic hits and people aren't coming to church, but the church doesn't just stop. I mean, we need to be able to continue to minister to people. So, I mean, we were helping churches literally learn how to put do Zoom. I mean, they couldn't even, they couldn't provide any kind of care or connection. And so I'm hoping uh, that churches are going to realize that they need to decentralize uh, and I think that, that if they will think about their ministry in that way, to stop trying to think about how do we get people back into the church, but how do we serve people where they are, I think they'll do a little bit better on the on trying to get everything back up and going. I do think, unfortunately, that, uh, you know, because of the kind of misinformation and bad communication out there, you know, my own church is the same way. You've got people that don't want to come back, and you've got people that think we should have never even mentioned it ever. Uh, which causes its own problem uh, to begin with. I would say, you know, let's step back and let's not be concerned about 
that anymore. Let's say, how can we minister to people where they are? Those that don't want to come back, how are we going to minister the message of Christ to them? And those who do want to come back, how are we going to minister the message of Christ to them in a, in a, a safe way as we can? Um, I think that we also, you know, I'll get myself in trouble, but I do think that that's what we do the, on this the program, church so has feel a, free. The church has allowed itself to get way too tied up in politics. Uh, Jesus is absolutely not interested in that. He is interested in people's hearts and lives. And, um, you know, when we step, you know, my friend Ed Stetzer says, when you combine, when you add religion to politics, you get politics. And that's, yeah. and that's the deal here. And so, you know, in, a lot of times it's not a discussion of um, should we wear a mask, whatever. It's an ideological, political discussion in the church. And that, the church is no place for that. Uh, th- this is a place for transformation and, 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 and becoming more Christ-like. And so I think we need to step back and we need to say, again, how can we get the message of Christ to people where they are? Uh, it's really no different than before the pandemic. It's just that we might have different hurdles or obstacles in doing that. Yeah, it's the same issue. I mean, the culture's going that way anyway. Right. So this is a good chance for churches to try to figure it out because Absolutely. culture is not coming to a traditional church anymore. Right. And um, it's not that people aren't going to still come to your church, but that's not going to be the main way to reach them as we go into the, the next part of uh, our, our lifetimes, at least. So mental health has always been a kind of taboo subject, and we talked about how it's getting a little better. Mm-hmm. But if someone's listening right now and they're thinking to themselves, you know, I've got these deep, dark things, and I just don't think my church would be ready to to hear any of this. What would be your counsel as to how to start to get get help? And, you know, I think that that is important. I think you have to ask yourself, you know, is your church supportive? I don't think you just jump out and share that necessarily if you don't think they're going to be supportive. You know, what I would say is this. I would say if you uh, if you have access to a mental health care provider, there's nothing wrong with going to a mental health care provider. And just because you go one time doesn't mean you have to go a million times. And so, you know, why not go and sit down with a mental health care provider, which is completely confidential. Uh, no one needs to go that you know you went. And ask the mental health care provider what they think about the issue you're dealing with. Do they think that you need to? I mean, this could be a single session. You don't have to go. Yeah. If you don't yeah. feel comfortable going into a mental health care provider, then call a support line. There's plenty of support lines in every uh, we have one uh, in the Houston area. I mean, call a support line and talk to one of the, the trained operators about your problem and see what they think. That's completely anonymous. You don't even have to. Uh, and so I think, you know, really all you have to do is kind of, you know, step out and, and see if you. It's hard a lot of times for someone to assess their own mental health because a lot of times we're kind of trapped in the, you know, can't see the forest for the trees kind of thing. Uh, if you have a trusted friend, that's another opportunity. Or even going to your primary care physician. And, and saying, look, okay, I'm dealing with this. What do you think about that? Uh, your primary care physician can certainly help you with a referral. And, you know, I would say, again, if you don't feel like your church would be supportive, um, you need to ask yourself, is that a good church? I mean, I think you really, because uh, you may be wrong. They, they may actually be supportive. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you don't feel comfortable uh, you know, kind of stepping out and, and doing that, then you really need to ask yourself, what what do you feel comfortable sharing with them? Because it, it should be a pretty open place, certainly with the leadership, you know, uh, and you should feel confident that they're going to, they have your best interest in mind, yeah. that they're going to provide that spiritual comfort and care that you need. Sadly, though, we've been hearing story after story about people that have come forward for various issues in churches and have been kind of repelled by leadership. Mm-hmm. And so I can see that fear. Um, and then don't expect your pastor to have all the answers because he, 
probably doesn't. No, absolutely. My first words are usually refer you right. to someone who actually knows what they're doing. Right. I love you, but we, we need to refer you. Um, do you think people have a distorted or wrong view of what therapy is? Oh, I do think so. I think that, um, you know, in the general population, most people, well, first off, you know, it's not just the church where there's a lot of stigma associated with mental health problems. I mean, you know, a lot of people just think people with mental health problems just need to stop being sad and move on, you know. You know, I was sad once and I went to work kind of thing, you know. So they, they don't recognize that it's their, these are debilitating issues. I think another thing is that we use psychological terms very cheaply. You know, when I say depression, I'm thinking about, you know, a depressive disorder that causes someone to not be uh, functional. Uh, but, you know, lots of people say, oh, I'm so depressed today or, you know, oh, I'm so OCD because they're, they're neat or something when these are debilitating uh, illnesses. And so I think that, you know, there's just a general stigma. And, and I think people minimize uh, the severity of these things. And so when someone does, you know, they're willing to step out, they do a lot of times kind of get smacked down, you know, like, well, you just need to get going. I don't yeah. have time for that. And, uh, and and people don't really understand. But Come also to the men's retreat. Exactly. You're going to be fine. But also, I, you know, I was just saying the yesterday in a talk that I gave, you know, the, you know, for mental disorders, uh, it's the only condition in which the disordered organ is the one who makes the decisions for care. And so, you know, a lot of times you don't fully appreciate how impaired you are. Uh, you know, your liver doesn't decide it needs to go to the oncologist. I mean, your, your head does. And yeah. so uh, in this instance, you're, you know, you're depressed and down and you, you have to decide to get care and you, uh, I don't really want to do that because I'm going to get shamed and I'm going to get stigmatized. Uh, you know, but the reality is, is that we need to equip everyone to know that it's okay. I mean, you certainly find that with younger generation, they feel more comfortable uh, with that. And then, you know, people say for like my mother's generation, um, I mean, these are not things that are discussed. You know, you don't do that and you don't even discuss them with family. So, you know, I think we need to get a little bit more open. And, um, you know, in the church, we have that we've still have the general stigma. We have the spiritual stigma, too. We, you know, we read a, we see a verse where it says something like be anxious for nothing. And then we we turn that into, you know, anxiety is a sin when God gave us a system in our brain for anxiety, which keeps us from getting killed most of the time, you know, and uh, and, and kind of generate some action in us to do things. And so, you know, I think that we need to step back and say, look, the person's in distress, whether, and I don't understand what's, why they're in distress, but what can I offer them? Uh, because that's what a church is. We're, we're offering care and comfort and, and, a, and, a, and a pointing at them in the direction of Jesus. What, what can I offer them to help relieve their suffering and, and move them closer to Christ? And Jesus is a good example of that because he actually spent time with people. And he listened, he listened to what they said. Now, of course, he was an omnipotent God as well, but he sets a wonderful example to just sit and talk with people and listen to them. And and not everybody, like you said, is ready to uh, need care, but they're hurting. Right, absolutely. So they think, need something. That's the thing I think we need to say. Don't, don't, don't be all caught up in diagnosis or what your yeah. view of mental illness is or things like that. You've got a hurting person in front of you. Uh, and, you know, if you can do nothing more than offer them some hope for the future, that things can be better. Uh, I, I will tell you that, I mean, I've done a lot of research around this, but I mean, I will tell you that for churches that, you know, somebody comes in and they maybe they're struggling with depression and the church says, ah, well, this is just a weak faith and you need to just kind of get right with Jesus and you won't be depressed. 
you know, what we find is that actually drives people away from the faith. And, and, and the person who said that to them, I don't think that was their plan. I think their plan was to try to drive them closer to Jesus. But the reality is it drives people away from the faith. Uh, you know, approach it with compassion and grace. Don't approach it with kind of judgment and kind of I'm going to fix it, you know, type of thing. Uh, if you don't know what to do, pray with them. Yeah. If you don't know what to do, go find somebody that knows yeah. what to do. It, you know, it's if somebody shows up in your office and they have cancer, you don't know anything about cancer, but you know how to offer comfort and compassion. Uh, do that. We'll be back to the conversation with Paul and Dr. Stanford in a moment. Today's program is taped on location from the American Association of Christian Counselors Conference in Orlando, Florida. My name is Steve Johnson, Executive Director of Five Stone Media, and we're so pleased to be a co-sponsor of this program. We use story to bring hope and healing for those in need of change. And for more about our story-based resources, log on to www.lifesupportresources.org. And now back to Pastor Paul. And the person who said that to them, I don't think that was their plan. I think their plan was to try to drive them closer to Jesus. But the reality is it drives people away from the faith. Uh, you know, approach it with compassion and grace. Don't approach it with kind of judgment and kind of I'm going to fix it, you know, type of thing. Uh, if you don't know what to do, pray with them. Yeah. If you don't know what to do, go find somebody that knows yeah. what to do. It, you know, it's, if somebody shows up in your office and they have cancer, you don't know anything about cancer. But you know how to offer comfort and compassion. Uh, do that. But why is mental health so outside the lines in churches? Is it because we definitely because we have a wrong view of what Jesus is really saying about some of these topics? Like you said, anxiety, fear, all of those kinds yeah, of I things. Yeah, think, I think that we we have. Because we all experience, we all have moods, we all have emotions, we all, we, I think we each believe that we understand what, for instance, what it is to be depressed because we've been sad. I think we understand what it is to be, have an anxiety disorder because we've been anxious or stressed. Uh, when in reality, uh, we have no idea unless we've experienced that or lived with someone who experienced that. So, it, it, you know, it's, I, I wouldn't say that I knew what it was like to have a heart attack because I had a subclinical heart attack, you know, and so, right. so the thing is, is that it's, that's what we do with this. And I also think that, you know, the, you know, people that, the, the narrative on mental illness is that people with mental illness are to be feared and that they're other, they're different. If you look at a, a movie or a TV, that's how they're, they're talked about. And so, you know, if it's just my employee, my friend who is working next to me and he shows up for work and I know he's married and I know, you know, obviously he's employed. Uh, well, I mean, how impaired can he really be? You know, and, and so I mean, standing right there, you know, I don't see a wound. Uh, and so I think we kind of minimize the severity of it. But ultimately, you know, what I think we have to understand is that, you know, suicide, I mean, suicide is caused by mental illness. And that's the terminal end of un, unmanaged mental illness. And, you know, we're looking at, you know, massive increases in suicide during the pandemic. But you're looking at like 50 to 70,000 people a year that die by suicide, but you're looking at 12 million people a year in the U.S. that have suicidal thoughts. Uh, and so, you know, this is serious stuff. This yeah, is life is. and death stuff. It's mm -hmm. just kind of a wound you can't see. And, and we have to have, we have to be more compassionate, I think, and less judgy 
which is what we tend to do. Like you tell me you have a problem and then all I'm thinking about is how I can fix you yeah. instead of saying how can I connect with your pain and kind of be present with you. In but it. see, that takes work. Right, and it hurts. Yeah. You know, it hurts. That's right. You know, because it does. It takes work to be compassionate. It really doesn't take much work to kind of spit out, here's three things you need to do, and then don't come back till you're better. Yeah. You know. My wife uh, has a list called the stupid things people have said to her during crisis. Right. And um, they really are astounding, some of the things. The thing, every person meant well, though. Nobody Absolutely. was trying to hurt oh, no. her. I agree. But I think that sometimes, as a pastor, I've learned is just shut up, right? Just and be present. Just be in the room, right? Because that's all they really want, and they'll ask you if they need something else. I mean, Job's friends are the best example. Yeah. I mean, God gives us this this fantastic book of horrible theology, uh, where these three guys, you know, they they travel a great distance to just be present with their friend, and they sit with him in silence, yep. and it's a wonderful thing. And then they open their mouths and just destroy it for 38 chapters. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, but they do a great job at just being present. I mean, my wife has the same, my wife and I have that same list because we lost a child late in a, late in a pregnancy. And, you know, the dumb things people say to you, like, well, you know, this is just God's way of taking care of a mistake. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, that thanks. was so wonderful. That makes you feel so much better now. Yeah. Or, you know, even the obstetrician, you know, he said, uh, well, you've had healthy children before. You'll be able to have them again. I'm like, again, did they teach you that in med school? Because that's really not good. And, uh, you know, just to say I've got a broken and hurting person in front of me, the best thing I can do is be present and be silent. The next best thing I can do is just simply to say, if you need anything or I can provide anything for you, I'm here, and then shut up. And so, uh, you know, but we, we just like to talk. We like yeah, to talk. Yeah, we all do. So tell me what you do at the Hope and Healing Center and Institute. Yeah, the Hope and Healing Center and Institute is 10 years old this year, and we sit on the campus of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in uh, Houston, Texas. They provide a building for us, although we're a separate entity. We have a comprehensive uh, mental health clinic there for people with serious mental illness. We provide uh, psychotherapeutic interventions, medication, case management. We have 40 support groups a week. Uh, all of our services are free. We even pay for their medication. They go into about a year-long uh, outpatient program. Uh, it's all faith-based. Uh, and uh, But we also provide educational programs for the community. And probably our biggest program is our Gateway to Hope program. Uh, which we recognize, uh, as the research shows, that people are more likely to go to a clergy before they go to a mental health care provider, but very few clergy ever make a referral. So we go into faith communities and we train them uh, how to recognize mental health care problems, how to make referrals, how to set up supportive services. We place support groups there. We place mental health coaches there. In fact, we've collaborated with uh, AACC here uh, to develop a mental health coach training program, and so we train mental health coaches. Uh, and that's a person who's received about 42 hours of training, and they can do an assessment, and they can make referrals, and they can follow a person, they can do some therapeutic intervention. And then all of that's available for free for the individual through the faith community. Uh, we also now are doing that training in schools for teachers and administrators. Um, and we also are beginning to move into large businesses to provide it as a mental health um, employee assistance program. So really our goal is to increase access to care uh, and make it available in, in some sense wherever you are, you have an opportunity to kind of step into the mental health care system uh, and get the care that you may need. And how can we get in touch? 
You can go, if you're interested in the Hope and Healing Center, you can go to hopeandhealingcenter.org. That's just hopeandhealingcenter.org. That's our main website. If you're interested in our training programs for churches or schools, you can go to mentalhealthgateway.org, mentalhealthgateway.org. All the training is available there online. Uh, All the training is actually free, uh, and all the resources are there as well. We have support staff that will follow you up once you register for the training uh, and kind of help you get things set up. Well, Matthew Stanford, good job. We need this right now especially, and thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it very much. You know, Jesus cares about you, and this is one of the ways that he reaches out through his people. And if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, wow, I need help, or I'm just feeling I'm in a dark place and I don't have anybody to turn to, Jesus is saying to you, I'm here. And there are people around you that can help, so please reach out for help. I want to thank our wonderful partners that we have for this program, Faith Radio Network at MyFaithRadio.com. You can see a video version of this podcast at FiveStoneMedia.com. And I'd love to have you check us out at Ridgewood Church as well at MyRWC.org. This has been Life Support. Thanks so much for being here. This is Steve Johnson again, Executive Director of Five Stone Media. And we've had the privilege of creating the Life Support Series and the Life Support Resource Library. The library includes tools and resources that can help you be equipped to come alongside others who are suffering and in pain. Among the tools included are therapist webinars and blogs, sermon starters and transitions, short videos, small group material and conferences. You can find out more at this address www.lifesupportresources.org and we'd love to introduce you to the material. This Life Support Program is a co-production of Five Stone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. listening to this life support podcast these conversations are available because of listener support you can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com to avoid missing future editions of life support subscribe to the podcast today at itunes or your podcast player and thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support